Good morning. How you doing today? Good to see you. Turn to somebody and say, I'm glad you came to church instead of watching the football game on TV. I knew Aaron would be here because Aaron's team never makes the playoffs, so he's always here when playoff time starts. But I'm glad you're here today, whether your team's playing or not. Hey, I'm excited about God's Word, and you know, we started a new series this year, this month, entitled Realignment. And we're talking about looking at different areas of our lives that tend to get out of alignment with God's Word and get those areas realigned so we can see God's blessing in every area of our lives. And in this series, the first week of the series, I talked about heart realignment. Scripture says, love the Lord your God with everything you've got. We need to make sure that's aligned properly. Last week, I talked about time realignment. And I brought, brought us back to the fact that one of the reasons why our time gets out of alignment and out of control is because we don't take the day God gave us each week to rest, to hit reset, and to figure out how to order up our lives. And we need to take advantage of that day. Today, I'm going to go in a little different direction. And I want to continue talking about realignment. But I want to talk today about financial realignment. How many of you know that finances can tend to get out of control sometimes? And sometimes you got to sit down and look at where the money's going and where it's coming from and figure out how am I going to do this and how am I going to do that? Well, you know what? God is concerned about your finances. A lot of people don't know that. God's concerned about it. And I'm going to show you today from God's word some things that you need to know. But I want you to hear this. It has never been the will of God for us to live in fear. Not in any area of life. Fear really is the opposite of faith. And this is true of material things too. God never intended for us to live in fear. And I'm going to read from just a moment, in, in just a moment, from Exodus chapter 20. It's one of the Ten Commandments. But you know, there's, there's one thing that creates a lot of financial issues in our lives that you seldom hear talked about in church. It's something that sometimes needs to be realigned, and I'm going to talk about it today from God's Word. And I want you to open your heart and hear some things that I've got to share. Exodus chapter 20, verse 17. Now, when, when God gave us the Ten Commandments, Paul said in the New Testament that the, the law, those Ten Commandments, were given to show us our sin. Without the knowledge of those commandments, there are some things that we didn't know were immoral and were sin in the eyes of God. But from those commandments, it shows us our sin. Now, here's what's interesting. The first couple of commandments are, are really about heart issues, like we taught it, heart realignment. It's about loving the Lord with your God with everything you've got and having no other gods, no idols in your lives. And then he goes through, now don't do this and don't do this and don't do this because these things are sin. But then he gets down towards the end of the commandments. In verse 17, here's what Exodus 20 tells us. The Lord says, you shall not covet. Everybody say covet. We'll talk about covetousness this morning for a while. You shall not covet. The word covet in the original writings means to wrap your heart around something that you see is delightful and desirable, but it belongs to somebody else. Wrapping your heart around something that is not yours, that you've not obtained, that is not rightfully yours. And as a result, you begin to scheme and plan, oftentimes in sinful and ungodly ways, to grab things that don't belong to you. Here's what the Lord said. You shall not covet your neighbor's house, 
you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. And because we're in a different world today, your neighbor's husband either, okay? I want you ladies to make sure you know that's in there too. Nor, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, let, let's say his employees, nor his ox, nor his donkey, the machinery that runs his business, nor anything that is your neighbor's. See, God said, now, now get this, he gave us all these commandments, and then all of a sudden he says, now here's one that we really talks about your thinking process, your mind, your thought process. You shall not fill your mind with thoughts and desires for things that belong to somebody else. You shall not covet. Now, today I want to talk about this, and in a few minutes I'm going to give you five things we can do to make sure we've got covetousness out of our hearts. But let me tell you something. If you look at this commandment, one of the things we have to understand is that covetousness opens the door to all kinds of sin. It opens the door to all kinds of sin. Now let me explain this to you. If you start coveting something, you just might lie to get what you want. None of you would do that, but I mean somebody you know or somebody watching <laughs> online might. But some people will lie to get what they want. Some people will steal to get what they want. I told first service, when I was a little kid, I ran with a group of boys for a, for a short period of time. One day we were, we were down, and you know, I'm talking when we were like seven, eight years old. We were down at this local store, Dixie Farms Grocery Store in Bell Gardens, California. We're down at Dixie Farms Grocery Store, and you know, my mom had given me a, a few pennies or a nickel or something. We were in the store, and so I got some gum. We got outside, and a couple of my buddies had gum. I said, what'd you get? Is it, we got gum, we got candy. I thought you didn't have any money. We didn't. We stole it. How many of you know, even for a, for a little boy, it's a bad, bad thing to start? Okay? I guess some of you don't think it is, but I, I, my, my parents taught me it was wrong. The Bible says it's wrong. Anyway, I, I got to be honest with you. Here I am several years later, and I, I guess I need to go back and give Dixie Farms a penny because one day I was in there by myself with my buddies and I stole a piece of gum and I never never made it right. So if, if Dixie Farms is there, the next time I'm in Bell Gardens, I'm going to go back and give him that penny because covetousness caused me. Now I know you're saying, well, that's the stupidest thing. No, it's not. It's a principle about matters of the heart. Coveting things that don't belong to us. How about this one? Covetousness leads to adultery. Covetousness can lead to murder. See, the story of David and Bathsheba. Da David's out one day in his palace looking over the valley, and here he sees this beautiful woman on this rooftop taking a bath, and he watches her and he thinks, man, I really like her. You know, I want her. So what does he do? He steals her away from her husband. He has sex with her. She becomes pregnant. Then he lies about the whole matter. And he even sends her husband to the front lines of the battle so he gets killed, throws him right out front. He's one of the first guys killed. He does all of that, all because of covetousness. Now, some of you are saying, well, what's this got to do with financial realignment? I'm going to show you the next few minutes, so stay with me. Let me lay a foundation. Jesus warned us about covetousness in the New Testament. Mark chapter 7. 
he listed it with a group of a whole bunch of other ugly sins. He said, for from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. He lumps it in with some pretty ugly stuff. And Jesus says it's sin and we need to guard against it. Luke chapter 12, here's what Jesus said. Take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. In other words, Jesus said, be careful about wrapping your heart around things and what other people have because what you have does not really express who you are and what you are. What you have is not who you are. So be careful that you take on a mindset that says, well, in order to be somebody in this world, I have to have this kind of house and this kind of car and these kind of clothes, and i got to have this. No, Jesus said, be careful of that because that doesn't really define who you are and what you are. That takes you into covetousness. Paul, in his writings in the New Testament, warned us about covetousness, just like Jesus. He lumped it together with a lot of other horrible sins. Not only that, but he said it was the Old Testament law that showed him he had covetousness in his heart. James, in his writings, warned us in James chapter 3. He said, where envy, which envy is a, is a form of covetousness, where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every other evil thing are there. In other words, covetousness, envy, opens the door to other sins. So how do we guard against covetousness? How do we properly align our hearts and our lives financially so we don't get into these issues? Well, I'm going to walk you through this the next few minutes. Quickly, I'm going to show you five things. Number one, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I need to learn to change my perspective so I can see things as God thinks, sees things. Did you know sometimes my perspective and God's perspective can be very different? Even though I'm a pastor, even though I'm trying to walk in his word, if I'm not careful, my perspective can change. And, and there's something that happens here that I'm going to show you in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 11. Paul, and leave the verse up there for a moment. Paul is the apostle to the Gentiles. He leaves the Jewish nation in the first century of the church, and he goes to other nations to build churches. And he didn't just go in and preach a Sunday and leave. He stayed weeks, months, some places, years, staying there, building churches getting the Gentiles to understand the things of God. Now, one day, Paul was in this situation with the Corinthian church where evidently there were some people who said, man, Paul comes and stays all this time trying to build the church, but he wants us to give offerings to help sustain his lifestyle. And so Paul responds to this, and notice what he says. He says, if we have sown spiritual things for you, is it a great thing if we reap your material things? Now, now here's the principle. God has this perspective that spiritual things are more valuable than material things. Spiritual things are more important than material things. And yet in our world today, we tend to get things backward and we let society shape us where we begin to think that the most important thing of all is material things. And because of that, we get our lives misaligned because we misunderstand what God has really designed us for. 
God wants our perspective to be changed where we understand spiritual things are more valuable, more important than material things. Because here's the truth of the matter. If you get spiritual things lined up correctly, you'll have God's blessing in other areas of your life. That's what Scripture teaches us. And, and I'm going to show it to you here today. Throughout Scripture, over and over and over again, God places more value on the spiritual than the material. But we tend to do the opposite and put the emphasis on material things. I began this series the first of the year, and I read this to you. If you want to know why I'm doing this series, it's because I want to see you blessed. As a pastor, I want to see everybody that calls the Bridge Church home, I want to see you blessed. I want to see God's hand working in your life. So there are some alignments we need to make, some realignments to see God's blessing. 3 John chapter 2, we read this earlier on in this series, but let me give it to you. John wrote and said, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health. How many of you want to prosper in all things and be in health? What about the rest of you? You want to be poor and sick? <laughs> he said, I want to, I, I pray, I want to see you blessed in every area of life. I want you to prosper and be in health. But then he goes on and says this, just as your soul prospers. He's saying God is pouring spiritual things into your life. And I want to see you blessed. And then he begins to talk about walking in the ways and the truth of God. That's what this series is about. I want to see you blessed. So I want to show you how you can walk in the ways of God and see God pour more blessing into your life. But it begins with the change of perspective. That I understand spiritual things are more important than material things. I need to learn to see as God sees. Number two... Look at Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to read several verses, and I've got a lot to say here, so I'm going to go really fast and skip through this, okay? Matthew chapter 6. The second thing we need to do to guard against covetousness, we need to put God first in our financial life. I need to put God first in my finances. Now, Jesus addresses this subject of food, clothing, and shelter, the basic needs of life. Beginning at verse 25, read along with me and follow along. Jesus says, therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value Verse 27, which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Then he goes on to say in verse 31, notice this, therefore do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what are we going to drink, or what am I going to wear? For all these things, after all these things, the Gentiles seek. Stop just a moment. What he's saying is those who are not in covenant relationship with God, they're always worried about these things, but we don't need to worry about those things. 
Here's why. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. And finally, verse 33, very familiar verse. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Everybody knows that verse. In verse 34, Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Now, in this passage of Scripture, Jesus gives us three basic things I want to show you real fast. He gives us a word of encouragement. He gives us a promise. And then he gives us some instructions about how we face financial material needs. So let me show this to you real fast. Number one, he talks about encouragement. What did Jesus say? Jesus said, you don't need to worry about material needs. Now, let's, let me explain it this way. If this morning I were to say to you, Pastor Gary says to you, stop worrying about financial and material needs. Some of you would say, well, what are you going to do about it? I can't do a whole lot about very many people's needs. But if Jesus says, don't worry about financial material things, then how many of you think that we maybe should lay it down and stop worrying about it? Take him at his word. See, it's encouragement for our lives. It's never been the plan of God that we worry and live in fear in any area of life, even in financial material things. Jesus said, don't Worry about it. It's kind of like, you know, out of the, the movie line, you know, forget about it. Just forget about it. Don't worry about it. Throw it aside. It's going to be okay. <laughs> Don't worry about material things. That's the encouragement. But then he gave us a promise. He said, your heavenly father knows, he already knows, he already knows when you have needs. What Jesus said was, God's got it. I'm, let me encourage you, don't worry about stuff, because here's the promise. God already knows that you need those things. But then he gives us some instructions. Put God first. Put God first. Verse 33, if you've been serving God very long, if you've been in church very long, you know this verse. You hear it quoted all the time. Well, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. The problem is, most Christians don't know the context of where this verse comes from. Most Christians don't even know what Jesus is talking about. They can quote Matthew 6.33, but they don't know what it applies to. Anytime you're reading God's word, you need to put it in context and see where it's fitting what the whole subject matter is. Jesus is talking about material needs and about worrying for those things. He gives us some encouragement, he gives us a promise, and then he gives us some instructions. He says, seek first. Everybody say first. first. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things will be added unto you. Okay, the kingdom of God, what's that? It's the rule of God. It's God's government in our lives. So I need to seek God's rule, his involvement, his government in my life. Second of all, his righteousness, that's his character. What he's saying is, get concerned about spiritual things, line up those spiritual things, line up your financial life with God's spiritual priorities, and then God will begin to work in your life to meet your needs. But what does it mean when he says, seek first? Seek first. See, what a lot of people don't realize is, in this passage of Scripture, Jesus is talking to Jewish people. 
He's talking to people who know a good deal about the Old Testament law. Even those who aren't real religious, they knew the law of the day and they, because they heard it constantly from the Pharisees and the leaders. When Jesus is talking about food, clothing, and shelter and says, seek first the kingdom of God, he's referring to something very specific. Put God first in your financial picture. They knew what he was talking about because it was Old Testament law. Proverbs chapter 3, Solomon talks about it. I want you to read it with me. Proverbs chapter 3, beginning at verse number 9. Honor the Lord with your possessions. Okay? Worship God with what? Worship God. Honor Him with what? Well, it's quiet in this Presbyterian church this morning. <laughs> hey, I love Presbyterians, but you've got to give me a little bit of help, okay? It's okay. Worship the Lord. Honor the Lord with your possessions with what you own and with the the what the first fruit the first part of all your increase which means every time there's financial increase in my life I need to view it as a blessing from God and I need to take the first part of that increase and give it back to God because that's what he asked for Solomon tells us this now I'm gonna, I'm gonna go back and show you more in just a moment look at the next verse what will happen so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Now, most of you don't own barns or vats. But it's talking about prosperity. It's talking about having enough and more so we can be a blessing to other people. From the very beginning of time, when God began to make a covenant with Abraham, he told him, I'm going to bless you so that you can be a blessing. I'm going to bless you so you can be a blessing. God says to us, I'm going to bless you so you can be a blessing. So the first thing you need to do is honor me as the one from whom your blessing comes. And then watch what I do. Watch what I will do in your life. Notice the order. You're blessed by God. You give back to God your first part of that. And you're blessed again. You see, we don't give to get. We give because God's blessed us. We give because he's already given to us. And because we honor him, he just continues the cycle and continues the process. Blessing, giving, blessing, giving, blessing, giving. It's putting God first in your finances. Now, let me also quote from Malachi chapter 3. I'm not going to read it all. I'm going to just tell you because i got to save some time here. Uh, I, went, I, went a, I went like first service like an hour and 20 minutes. Hour and 20 minutes. Can you believe that? Normally, it's, I went so long today. And some of you said, oh, my gosh, hour. And, I'm going I'm to miss the kickoff. You've already missed the kickoff, okay? <laughs> forget about it. You, forget about it. You'll get the second half here in a few minutes. But let me, let me show you this. I want you to see this today. Malachi 3. The Lord said, bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there would be provision in my house. God said, if you will do that, I will open the windows of heaven, and I'll pour out so much blessing that your barns will just overflow. It'll be more than you need so you can be a blessing to other people. He said, I'll even rebuke the devourer so he does not steal away from you the things I've blessed you with. But he says, honor me with that first 10%, that first part. Give it back to me in faith. Now, why did God establish this principle of first fruits, this principle of tithing, giving the first part to God? Well, because God said the tithe, that first part of your income, my income, it's holy. Remember last week I talked about the Sabbath day is holy? That means it's purposeful. God declared what the purpose of it was. 
It's the same with my income. The first part is purposeful. It belongs to God. I can use it, try to use it for something else. You may not give it to God, but you're not going to keep it. It's going to go somewhere. Why? Because it's holy and it belongs to God. And I don't need to go through the whole story today, but you know what? I promise you, 90% of your income will go farther than 100% if you honor God first. Because God promised he would bless us. It's holy. It's purposeful. When I give my first part to God, it sets a precedent in my life that he is the most important thing. He is my source in life. Even when it comes to financial things, God comes first. It ties my heart and my faith to God, not to money, not to things. It separates my heart from covetousness because I know that God is my source and God's going to take care of me and I don't need to try to scheme how to cheat people and get what they have because God will be my source. He'll provide for me. It's always been God's intentions to bless us so we can honor him and give. It's never been the will of God for us to live in fear over finances. But if you go back and study it in the Bible, from the beginning of time, from the time that God pushed man and banned him from the Garden of Eden, man has had a struggle in his heart to give God what he asked for. Go back to Cain. It was the very issue with Cain and Abel when Cain killed his brother Abel. Cain was asked by God to give his first and his best, and he said, no, I'll give you what I want to give you. And God rejected it and said, no, you give me what I asked for, or you don't have my blessing. He got so angry because his brother had the blessing, he went out and killed his brother. That's covetousness. We need to understand from the very beginning of time, before the Old Testament law was ever given, there were people giving the first part of their income to God because God said, give it to me, honor me, and I'll bless you. You see, fear closes my heart. It causes me to hoard. It causes me to grip things that I'm afraid I'm going to lose. And as a result, that same fear causes me to live with a closed heart. And if you have a closed heart, you also live with a closed hand. Covetousness does that to us. It closes our hearts and closes our hands because we're living in fear. And then, how many are ready for me to go to part three? Okay. Somebody's like, hurry up and get to number three. I've heard enough of this one. I'll get there in a second. Then, whenever you hear teaching about giving to God, what happens? We have this war that starts inside about guilt, about condemnation. And we begin to make excuses. And then the first thing you know, before you leave the building, well, I don't want to come back to this church anymore and listen to that guy. He makes me mad. You know what? I'm just telling you what the Bible says. Don't get mad at me. If you want to get mad, get mad at God. I'm a nice guy. I'm just the messenger. Okay? It causes this war to start inside of us. Putting God first in my finances changes my perspective on money. It creates faith towards God and it shifts my trust to Him. So when I have a need, I begin to pray and say, God, I've been faithful. I've trusted you. I've given back to you. I know you are my source. I've got seed in the ground. I believe you're going to meet my need. It creates faith when we give to God. Now, let me clear something else. I'm, I'm almost finished at this point. Let me clear this up. A lot of people have been taught that money is evil. Money's not evil. Scripture doesn't say that. It says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Covetousness creates all kinds of evil. That's what it's talking about. The love of money creates all kinds of evil. Money is neutral. It's not good. It's not bad. Money is neutral. It's a tool. 
But what you do with money and what money does to you determines whether it's good, whether it's bad. That's why Jesus said you can't serve God in money. Because you're going to love one and hate the other. You'll despise the one and go the other direction. You can't do it. But if we get a right perspective, it frees our hearts to honor God and to trust God to be our source in life. What I do with money determines what money does to me. I have a dear friend, a pastor friend, told me a story. A few years ago, he started a building program. And, you know, building churches is really expensive. It's expensive stuff. Building anything is expensive, but building a big building, it's expensive. So he was looking at the, what it was going to cost, and it's going to cost, you know, a few million dollars. Well, one Sunday morning, he's, he's getting ready to go to church. He hears his wife in the other part of the house. She's got the news on, just watching the local news, seeing what's going on while she's getting dressed. And all of a sudden, she, he hears her making all kinds of noise, and he's thinking, what in the world's going on? So he runs to see what's going on. His wife said, come see this. You know so-and-so that attends our church? Yeah. They're really faithful. They're here all the time? Yeah. You know they're regular tithers and regular givers? Yeah, they're big supporters. He just won the lottery. True story. He, some, of you, some of you are mad already. Well, why didn't I win the lottery? That's covetousness. <laughs> My guess is God has less to do with the lottery than you do. But anyway... Did that come out right? Yeah, I think it, I think it did. <laughs> Stay with me. So they get all excited. Wow, this guy has won not a million dollars. I mean, this guy has overnight become extremely wealthy. Overnight. And they're thinking, hallelujah. We're going to, just the tithe off of that's more than going to pay for our church building. This is going to be a wonderful thing. And they go to church that morning looking for him, and he's not there. And they go, oh, well, you know, he's probably all excited. He's probably all excited. Next Sunday, he's not there. He's not, he's not there for a while. Finally, he shows up one day, and pastor walks up and says, Man, was that you I saw on television? It was the same, your, your name, is it the same guy? Did you win the lottery? This guy says, Yeah, man, I won the lottery. Boy, it's unbelievable how God has been so good. I'm going to have all of this money. Boy, I'm going to be a blessing to the church. Pastor, I'm really going to be a blessing to our church now. Pastor says, That's awesome. And the guy says, Let's sit down and talk about what I can do. He said, Okay. Well, he doesn't see him in church for a few more weeks, which he's always been in church. And all of a sudden, finally, one Sunday he shows up. The pastor said, hey, you, you want to get together and talk about this? He said, yeah, I've been thinking about it. Let's get together. And he says, you know, I think, I think I'll be able to help put the roof on the church. The pastor says, awesome, awesome. That's what God's put in your heart? That's awesome. Yeah, 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 I'm, I'm going to do that. Well, the pastor knows, well, his tithe alone off of that is going to more than pay for the church. So he thinks, oh, okay, great, that's just an offering. You know what happens in the long run? In the long run, he never could get all the money out of the guy to finish the roof. The guy quit coming to church, quit serving God. He went up in the foothills, bought like 50 acres with this mansion on it, started a whole new business up in the hills, and no longer has any time for God. You know what? How you deal with money determines what money does to you. Now elbow somebody and say, I'm sure glad I didn't win the lottery. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul talked about this. And Paul said that God gives seed to the sower and bread for food, and then he supplies based on what we do with it. See, every time I receive increase in my life, every time I get a paycheck, every time a blessing comes in my life from somewhere, 
Every time, there's two things I have. I have bread for food, money that I need for whatever I need it for, and then I have seed to sow. He goes on to say that what comes back into our life is based on what we do with the seed. Our future provision is based on what we do with the seed. The problem is a lot of us are eating our seed. And we wonder why we don't see God doing more things in our financial lives. It's because we're eating our seed instead of putting it where it belongs. So let's put God first in our finances. Somebody said, hallelujah, we're on to number three. Number three. You think that was good? Listen to this one. Number three. Stop buying what you can't afford. Oh, husbands are afraid to make a noise right now. Afraid to make a sound. Stop buying what you cannot afford. Did you know discipline is a good word? Discipline is a good word. Don't buy what you can't afford. Proverbs 22.7 says, The rich rules over the poor and the borrower is servant to the lender. Debt is a cruel master. Now let me... Let me talk real straight to you, okay? I'm, like I said last week, I know a thing or two because I've seen a thing or two. I've been living a while. I'm not, I'm not the guy who's going to get up here and tell you credit cards are of the devil. I'm not, I'm not that guy. But you need to be really careful how you use them. You need to really plan carefully. You need to be wise with them. You know, at the church here, many of our vendors that we work with, the, the days of you buy something and they'll bill you over 30, 60, 90, those days are gone because, you know, no, give us a, your phone, give us your credit card number and we'll send this out to you right now. If you don't pay for it in advance, you don't get it. So we have church credit card. We use it a lot during the month. We pay it off when the bill comes the next month. This week I just happened to be looking at it, and I looked at it again between services to make sure I had this right. And, you know, we had our monthly balance, which we pay off. But here's the interesting thing. It says on there, now, if you make the minimum payment on this credit card, it will take you 25 years to pay off this credit card. That's what it says right there. You know, I always just look at the numbers and skip. How many never read the fine print? I don't pay attention to it much. It caught my attention because of what I'm teaching today, I guess. But let me tell you something. Sometimes we buy a $39 pair of jeans, like Corey buys, you know, with, with the holes in them, because good <laughs> jeans cost more than that. But yeah, I'm kidding. I'm using for illustration, okay? You have to find them on sale. We buy a $39 pair of jeans and a $35 shirt, and it lasts us for a year, Year and a half, maybe, two years. But some of us are paying for those for 25 years. We need to stop buying what we cannot afford. Some of us are going through money so fast that we're buying our groceries on the credit card because we don't have money. Please, don't get offended. Listen to me. If you can't afford the house you're in, buy a house you can afford. If you can't afford the car you're in, I, I know how cars are. Oh, I gotta have that car, it is the coolest ever. 
Six months of those payments and you're ready to downsize. I know how that works. And then you're upside down and can't get out of it. I know about that. Here's my point. If we put God first in our lives and ask for his wisdom and stop buying things out of covetousness that we cannot afford, trying to stay up with somebody else, our lives will be much more simple and much more blessed. Amen. Now, thank you. All five of you, thank you. One more thing here. Proverbs 24, 27 says, Prepare your work outside, make it fit for yourself in the field, and afterward build your house. We need to accept the financial seasons of life that we go through. If you're in a season where you don't need to spend, then stop spending. If you're in a season where there's abundance, be wise the way you spend. But don't, don't mortgage your future for things you cannot afford. Because if the economy takes a turn, you lose it all. We need to be wise about our spending. Number four. thought somebody would clap if we got away from that one. I guess not. <laughs> Number four. Establish a good work ethic. You know what I think? I think if you're a Christian, if you're a believer, and you're an employee, I think you should be the best employee in that whole company. Don't go in there as a bad employee and a lazy person and start testifying to people trying to win them to Jesus. They're going to say, well, you lazy slob, I don't want to be like you. I don't need Jesus. <laughs> oh, sometimes I crack myself up. Pro Proverbs 24 says this. I went by the field of the lazy man and by the vineyard of the man devoid of understanding. And there it was, all overgrown with thorns. Its surface was covered with nettles. Its stone wall was broken down. When I saw it, I considered it well, looked on it, and received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. So shall your poverty come like a prowler and your need like an armed man. You know what? It takes time to create a track record of being a good employee, not being a lazy person. Well, I, I worked for this company for three weeks already, and nobody recognizes how wonderful I am. I'm going to just forget them all. I'm going to quit working so hard. That's, that's our problem. You want instant gratification. We need to establish track records of being great employees, not just good employees. Proverbs, here's one, one more little thought. Proverbs 28, 20 says, A faithful man will abound with blessings. But he who hastens to be rich will not go unpunished. Well, can I tell you one last thing here? Avoid get-rich-quick schemes. Because that's what they are, they're schemes. If it sounds too good to be true, it is. Somebody at the top is going to make money, and all you're going to do is waste your time and your money and your energy and your life. Avoid get-rich-quick schemes. Then number five, the very last thing, and somebody said, hallelujah. <laughs> Hebrews... 13.5, learn to be content. Let your conduct, your lifestyle be without covetousness. How? Be content with such things as you have. You know what I do on a regular basis? I just stop and thank God for what I've got. Some of us spend so much time looking at the things we don't have. Stop looking at the things you don't have and start being thankful for the things you do have. Say, God, help me to be content. Help me to see what you see. 
Now, this doesn't mean we shouldn't have a desire for nice things and good things. It doesn't mean that at all. So Old Testament tells us God wants to give us the desires of our heart. But not the things we covet and we steal and grind to get. Not those things. If we put God first and organize our lives and discipline ourselves to be wise with our money, God will bless us and give us the desires of our heart. That's his promise, not mine. It's his promise. Let your conduct, your lifestyle be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. Jesus himself has said, I will never leave you, never forsake you. Stop and be thankful you've got God in your life. No matter what you're going through, he said, I'll take care of you. You don't need to worry about it. Let's, let's make some realignments this morning. Would you bow your heads for just a minute? I want to pray for you. Father, I pray right now for your wisdom to just be poured out upon your people. You would make adjustments in our hearts and in our minds that need to be adjusted. This is about realignment, Father. If there's some things that we've not got properly in line, show us. Show us how to align our lives, to line up with your word, to use wisdom. And see you bless even the material and financial parts of our lives. God, show us today what we need to do individually. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Maybe you're here today. You listen to this message. And you know what? I don't preach on giving very often. When I do, I receive the offering up front so nobody's compelled to give because of what I preach. But maybe you listen to this today and you're thinking, Does God really con- is God really concerned? Does he care about my material needs and financial needs? Absolutely. It's all throughout Scripture. God's concerned. He cares. Maybe you're sitting there today thinking, you know, if God cares about those things, I, I know I know I need God in my life. I didn't know he cared about everything. He does. Maybe you've realized there's something inside of you turning over and you're realizing, you know, this is not about religion. This is about knowing God and having him involved in life. That's right. It's about relationship with God. Maybe you've never started that relationship, but you're sitting there right now thinking, what do I do? Here's what you do. You open your heart to God and you put it into words. It's prayer, but it's words. It's God, I need you. So I'm going to ask everybody in this building to pray this prayer with me. Wrap your heart and your faith around these words. Let's pray this together. Say, God, I need you. I open my heart. I invite you into my life. I need you. I believe Jesus is the Son of God. He died for my sins. I accept him as my Savior. I choose Jesus be the Lord of my life. Teach me your ways so I can follow you. Wash away my past. Give me brand new life in you. From this moment forward, you are my father and I'm your child. Thank you for loving me. Amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer today, it's the most important decision you ever make in life, to let Jesus become your Savior and set your course for not just this life, but for eternity. And that prayer is not the end of the journey, it's just the beginning. We've got a little booklet called The Next Seven Days. It's just 
simple information, a little bit of reading each of the next seven days to get you started building that relationship with God. We want to give it to you. It's our gift to you. When service is over, there'll be prayer teams in the front of the building. Just walk up to one of these teams and say, can I get the booklet? They'll give it to you. No strings attached. If you want to get it and go, that's fine. If you've got questions, they can answer questions. If you want prayer for something else, they'll pray with you. But please, let us give this book to you today. If you're in a really big hurry, just before you exit the building, right in the middle of the glass doors, there's a counter set up there. You can get the same booklet there. Just stop by and say, can I get the booklet? They'll give it to you there. No strings attached. Thank you for opening your heart, accepting Jesus, and joining the family of God. Can we welcome new family members into God's family today? God bless you. Now let me say one last thing before everybody jumps and runs for the door. Some of you heard this message today and you've never developed the attitude and the mindset and the habit of putting God first in your finances. You never give the first fruit. You never give that first part to God. And some of you are thinking, man, I would like to do that, but man, the way my finances are structured, I, I just don't have extra 10% to give to God. What do I do? Don't live in condemnation, but listen to me. Make up your mind today, I'm going to start giving something to God every time I'm blessed. Every time I receive a paycheck, every time I have income, I'm going to give something to God. And I'm going to ask God to bless that and grow that. I'm going to ask God to give me wisdom, how to realign my finances until God's blessing is upon me to the point where I can put him first in everything that happens in life. Take that mindset, start doing that, and I promise you, God will prove himself faithful in your life. He loves you. He cares about you today. God bless you. I love you. Thanks for giving me extra minutes today. Have a great, great, great Sunday.